Listening to the flip side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Noah Filipiak or at noahfilipiak.com slash give. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 45 of the Flipside Podcast. Welcome, Flip Eponami. Welcome. The flipped off. That's you, Seth. I gotta gotta just say it's you, so people don't actually think that I have a group called that. It's just one person, and he wants to be called that. So we try to we try to share the love. We try to, you know, if you 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 know, it's a consumer world. If you're going, I'm only gonna listen to this flip side podcast. If you called me the flipped off and not a flip upon my, you know, just let me know. We'll see if you. Whatever, whatever you need, we're going to make it happen here on the flip side. Well, hey, I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, welcome to another episode. I'm going to be interviewing Nate Larkin today from Samson Society, and I'm going to give you his little bio here in a moment. But I just want to kick off today's episode by saying thank you. Thank you for tuning in if you're a first-timer. But especially thank you to my regular listeners. I just want you to know it means a lot. It means a lot to me uh, cranking out episodes and just knowing that you're listening, knowing that from the feedback that I get from you, uh, that the, these help, that these podcasts help you in your walk and in your journey and are helping you grow closer to Jesus and are helping you bring the kingdom of God here, uh, here to this place. I love your feedback. You're always welcome to email the show. Email me, podcast at beyondthebattle.net. But thanks for listening. Uh, Thank you to my Podbean supporters. Uh, Really appreciate you. Really mentally, uh, it just, it's fuel to, to keep to keep going. And I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. It means a lot. And I want to say a big thank you as well to Angry Brew, our podcast sponsor. It means a lot. I'm drinking my Chris's Blend for this episode. It's delicious. It's a medium roast. And a reminder that if you go to angrybrew.com or fivelakes.com, use promo code FLIP to get 10% off your order. But there is a mental, there's an emotional psyche piece to this for me. Uh, something I talked about last episode, episode 44, tune in. And I'm, I'm just feeling led to humanize the process. I think as I as I prepare my own soul for this book launch of Beyond the Battle in July with Zondervan, I think there's, a, there's something healthy about a public soul work to be done. So so what I mean is often, and I'll talk to Nate about this a little bit today because I know it's something on his heart as well, but there's something about the public persona of an author or a, you know, I guess a podcaster in my case, but a, a pastor who has somewhat, some, maybe a larger church or somewhat of a public profile because of authoring books and it's really, man, it's it's really easy to act like you don't ever struggle. It's really easy to act like you don't struggle with ego issues or you don't struggle with insecurity issues. And 
I think that's why we see a lot of the quote unquote moral failures that we see. Or in recent years, we saw some higher profile pastors just getting fired, getting forced out by their elder boards for being, you know, narcissistic, for not listening, for not being humble. And man, I think when we act like the emotional, mental part doesn't affect us, that's when it affects us. I think when we act like we're above that or we've graduated from that, that that that's when we're that's when it becomes a problem. And so, yeah, I just I, I appreciate your prayer. I appreciate your prayer as the book launch comes up. I thank you for your encouragement. And uh, I talked about that in episode 44 more. So you feel free to check that out. And thank you for for listening. Thank you for being a listener. And in that in that way, we we somewhat are. I see it as as a community. It's it's not community community, but it is a type of community. And I am thankful for you, thankful thankful and thank you for listening and letting me be transparent uh, and vulnerable as we go. So let me tell you a little bit about Nate, and then we will jump into that interview. Nate is the founder and director of the Samson Society, which you will learn more about in the interview. But the Samson Society is a network of men, some that get together in person around the country, and many, many, many men who get together on Zoom all throughout the day, every day, uh, for sexual addiction recovery and other addiction recovery and for community and vulnerability. So I highly recommend Samson Society, by the way, samsonsociety.com, and you'll learn more about it in the interview itself. Uh, Nate also is the author of Pirate Monks Calling Men to Authentic Brotherhood. I have read Pirate Monks. It's very good. It's an awesome book. It's gonna, it goes through Nate's story as well as challenges each of us into that deeper place of vulnerability in our lives. Nate is also the author, along with Daryl Waltrip, the NASCAR driver of Sundays Will Never Be the Same, published by Simon & Schuster in 2012. Nate has been a pastor, and his story is elaborate. Maybe that's a good word for it. Uh, Nate will get into his story in our interview, but if you want to know how a man can go from being addicted to pornography and acting out sexually with prostitutes, etc., cetera, uh, as a pastor even, uh, to a man today who is helping thousands of men become free from their own sexual sin and free from their own sexual addiction, then then this interview, then tune in. Then tune into this interview and this conversation. Have a lot of respect for Nate. He is the real deal. He's an authentic dude, and he is fueled by Jesus, and he is helping tons and tons of men uh, across the country and across the world. So men and women alike, uh, tune in. And I ask Nate an, a question at the end about resources he recommends for women as well. And I want to say here, like I said then, uh, women, I know you are very much a part of this conversation. I know many women who are struggling with sexual sin and struggling with pornography and also women who have been hurt uh, by their, their men, by their husbands uh, and other men in their lives uh, who have 
who have who are addicted to pornography or who have cheated and and betrayed promises. And we get into that uh, in this in this interview as well. So here's Nate. Hope that it brings you closer to Jesus and closer to freedom. Hey, Nate, man, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the flip side. Wow, it's a privilege. I'm so uh, so happy to be aboard today. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so I want to start with your story. You know, I, I've read your book, and I know you're very public about your story. Your story is on your mm-hmm. website. I know you've probably, you've probably shared your story, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of times by this point. But I, 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 I do think, for, you know, for our conversation, as, I, whatever you feel is best to share in this environment, in a podcast, kind of as an introduction, uh, can, can you give listeners that have never met you, uh, haven't read your book, maybe they're not familiar with Samson Society, um, just a glimpse kind of into your story uh, it, as we get started today? Sure. Well, yeah, sure. I'm happy to do that. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm one of those kids who was raised in church. And in fact, my dad was a preacher. So my earliest memories were of church. Uh, In fact, church really defined our lives as I was growing up. And I was always uh, the good kid, the kid who, you know, I made a Christian commitment early and really was marked for ministry from the time I was very, very young. Because I've always had a way with words and, uh, you know, I can, when I was young, I had a pretty good singing voice and I like attention. And so, you know, I was kind of marked for ministry right from the time I was very young and had a, you know, a sincere faith, as sincere a faith as a child can have. And, uh, you know, I was on a career track and everything was going great. Now, I was completely oblivious to the realities of sex and nobody prepared me for the avalanche that was mm-hmm. going to strike with puberty right um all of a sudden i found that i was developing interests and having thoughts that i had not anticipated and which i instinctively knew i had to keep secret mm. um and i'm a good performer uh and so i, I learned to perform and also wrestled with a tremendous amount of guilt over my growing sexual curiosity as a young boy and, you know, finding porn in different forms, the kind of stuff that, well, the kind of stuff that any unsupervised six-year-old can find in two minutes today on the internet. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but it's a lot of work back then to find porn. Uh, you know, this is back in the sixties and in the seventies, uh, so it's print stuff. It's it's abandoned playboys to find and, you know, out behind the barn somewhere. Right. All that kind of stuff. Um, so. But I was marked for ministry. I was going to be a minister. That was that was a foregone conclusion. Uh, I was quite convinced that this growing preoccupation with sex would be. Uh, you know, be channeled properly and uh, all my, you know, sexual issues, that secret battle that I was waging uh, and this division of self, right? A public self that got a lot of applause and a lot of attention and was highly trusted and, you know, to a certain depth was very sincere. And then I also had this shadow self, this part that I was 
very careful to keep very secret. Um, I really believe that once I got married, I could just reintegrate mm -hmm. all my, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. all of my sexual interest would be channeled as it properly should toward my wife. I, I kind of regarded uh, pornography during my single years, during my teenage years and early single years as uh, preparation for marriage, hmm. you know, coaching maybe, or practice, uh, unaware that I was actually poisoning my marriage. And I was, uh, you know, I was, I would be bringing into marriage, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of images. And, uh, and I was creating expectations for marriage that no woman on the planet could ever fulfill. I was feeding lust and I did not know that lust was uh, slowly strangling my ability to love. Because mm -hmm. lust is about me. Love is about somebody else, right? Uh, lust is about taking, love is about giving. Uh, lust sees a body, love sees a person. Uh, and I had learned, I was, I, I was well-trained by, uh, you know, America's pornography industry into, uh, you know, I was, I was trained to objectify women. So I loved my wife, but uh, really objectified her from, you know, from the moment we met, she's a wonderful woman. She's a beautiful woman. But I found that my preoccupation with sex uh, didn't, didn't find its way into the channels I hoped it would when I got married. So I still had this illicit and growing curiosity, which actually got worse in seminary. So I went on to Princeton Seminary to prepare for the ministry. I'm a married guy now. We got uh, by the time I got to Princeton, we had a child uh, and we soon had another one on the way. And I actually, my wife came with a son. So I had a stepson. I was a father of two, soon to be the father of three. And, uh, <laughs> and then the world changed on a seminary sponsored trip to New York City mm -hmm. that was intended to uh, expose us to the horrors of pornography and the way it exploits women. And I thought, you know, this is exactly what I need. Uh, you know, I'm a good guy. I love God. I love people. If I can see really how awful this thing is, I will stop. Uh, I actually brought my wife along on the trip. I got my first look at hardcore porn, the kind of stuff, you know, any unsupervised six-year-old can find today on the internet. I saw it for the first time as a married man in a peep show booth in Times Square. Mm. my wife put the quarter in mm. uh now she was disgusted by what she saw i i i was too but at the same time it was as though somewhere deep inside me a door swung open and i knew at that moment that i was going to do more of this 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 was something uh, i i also swore i wouldn't and i didn't right away but eventually I did. Um, now, I kept my growing fascination with hardcore porn, which was accessible in those days only in adult bookstores, peep show booths. That was the way this is pre-internet. I'm an old guy now. So this is, this is in the mid-80s. Mm -hmm. 
uh, early 80s, I guess, when I started. Um, and I would, uh, and I valiantly fought against this growing life controlling urge, but somehow it's as though my car had a will of its own. And I would always find an excuse that I had to, you know, it was something I had to do. And, uh, I burned just endless hours and, and wasted an enormous amount of money, which had to be somehow filtered out of the household accounts. Mm -hmm. I mean, I became very good at embezzling from myself, mm -hmm. uh, stealing time from myself, from my family, from my wife, my young children, uh, maintaining this secret fascination, feeding this growing appetite, all the while feeling an enormous amount of shame and guilt and, and making effort after effort to stop always, you know, just me and God, uh, but, you know, never could hit the brakes. When I graduated from seminary, I was so discouraged by my own hypocrisy that I actually turned down job invitations. Mm -hmm. I was already a pretty good preacher. I was a preaching major at Princeton. Uh, so I had the skills that are highly valued in the church. I'm a good stand-up guy. I can tell a story. I can, you know, engage an audience. Uh, I could have had a job, but I just, I was terrified uh, of being discovered and just disgusted with my own duplicity and hypocrisy. So rather than accept a job, we, we, we moved to Florida where we joined a church that seemed like a safe place and uh, I, my, my first job in the church, actually, I, I became the janitor. I was the church janitor. And it was there on a men's retreat that I heard a guy tell his story about uh, porn and sex addiction. Uh, he was a guest speaker. He was a priest who came and did this men's retreat. And I waited for the, I waited for the ceiling to fall in <laughs> because this is not something that was ever talked about openly in church ever mm -hmm. and the building didn't collapse and uh that gave me the courage when i got home to tell my wife what i'd been doing because she had been oblivious she knew that i was drifting away from her emotionally and that i was gone for unaccountable periods of time uh she did she thought the problem was her which seemed like a good explanation to me i let her carry that blame right one of the things I'm very sad about and making amends for. Uh, but I told her and she said she accepted it bravely. She's an amazing woman. And she said, I'm sorry that you have felt that you had to keep this secret from me. Of course, this is not acceptable behavior. I know you don't want to do it. I don't want you to do it. But you don't have to fight this temptation alone anymore. Just when you're struggling, tell me. Mm. Uh, and I thought, man, this is the perfect solution. Uh, nobody else ever has to know. It's just me and Allie. And, uh, but what we didn't realize, what she had volunteered for a job that she was not equipped to do. Uh, because as much as she wanted to hear my struggle and my confession, every time um, I would talk about, you know, one of these, my battle with lust, in her mind, it would point to some deficiency in her. Right. It was, she volunteered to carry a weight that was too heavy for her. She was, and I could see that it hurt her and I don't like to hurt her. And so eventually I 
I stopped telling her. But by then, uh, I was a minister. We'd started a church. It had been a while since I'd been using porn. I felt the whole thing was behind me. Uh, I'm kind of an entrepreneurial guy, so I'd started a church, and we quickly had 100 people. And, uh, and then the pressures of the ministry began to mount, and uh, I went back to a familiar medication. Mm-hmm. So now I'm a pastor, but I'm also slipping away to adult bookstores um, and battling that thing. And then a few years into ministry, it got worse when on a fateful <laughs> Christmas Eve on my way to host the new year, to, 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 to uh, you know, to run a New Year's Eve candlelight service, um, you know, in the waning hours of a rainy December afternoon, driving east on Broward Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale, I see a lone female figure, a woman walking along the sidewalk. Um, I don't know what she's doing. I'm the, I'm the nice guy who pulls over to give her a ride out of the rain. I don't know what she's up to until she's in the car and propositioning me. But by this time, uh, I had seen similar scenes and had participated in them vicariously many mm-hmm. countless times. By then, uh, I don't know. I, I, it was always on a track. What was going to happen was going to happen. And I now understand that all sexual acting out is 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 really, um, uh, oh, the word has suddenly, uh, deserted me, but I really, ha- you really have to go away from yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. It's dissociative behavior, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned to dissociate very efficiently from that very first encounter. Of course, that first night was awful. Later on, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve in a candlelight service, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to the to the to the strains of Christmas carols, looking out at the faces of my wife and my children and the congregation that loved and trusted me, knowing what I had done, uh, and here's the here's the worst thing: knowing that I was going to do it again. Mm. And uh, so I did. I I developed a a, 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 rut- a routine of cruising for streetwalkers in Fort Lauderdale. We were in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the time. But always very careful, was never caught, kept it a secret. But I could I could be picking up uh, a, a prostitute on the street at two or three in the morning on Sunday. And I could be in the pulpit at 10. And I would flip, I, I, I would go from one state to another very, very clear that at this point there were, there were two of me at mm. least. Uh, and trying to hold them together and try to insulate that shameful secret part of the mind to make sure I was near. The stress was enormous. Um, eventually, uh, on my 30th birthday, I just decided I couldn't keep this up. I, I was either going to have to quit the behavior or quit the ministry. And at that point, there was only one I could quit. Mm-hmm. So uh, much to the uh, astonishment and dismay of my congregation and really to the relief of my wife 
I announced that I was going to leave the ministry. Allie thought, she thought probably, she thought maybe the ministry was what was the big problem in our marriage and the way that we were not able to connect. And maybe if I was out of the ministry and just had a normal job, she could find her husband again and we could be happy. Mm. Um, and so I, uh, at the age of 30, I quit the ministry, went into business, uh, went into the engineering field. I'm not an engineer, but I can talk like an engineer. I can write for engineers. Turns out uh, engineers, a lot of engineers have problems uh, communicating with ordinary people in everyday language. I'm good at that. Hmm. I'm a natural translator. Mm -hmm. So uh, I teamed up with a couple of engineers and I became the public guy and I'm the sales guy and I'm the communication guy and, and it worked. So I had the great misfortune to succeed in business. So now I had even more, far more money than I'd ever had in the ministry with even less accountability. Mm. Uh, I now didn't have to pick up hookers on the street. I could afford to, you know, hire people to come to a hotel. And what followed was a very, very dark dozen years. Mm. Uh, reconstructing it later, my best guess is that, uh, my best estimate is that I spent $300,000 mm. on pornography and prostitutes during the course of my active addiction. But, but that's not the, you know, the, that's not the worst part. The worst part is I spent my children's childhood. Mm. Um, I spent uh, in all 20 years of my wife's life, 20 years of my life, you know, trading my birthright for a bowl of beef and, and never callous about it. Always trying to quit, but always trying to quit alone. Yeah. Because, because the, uh, the consequences of being discovered in my mind were just absolutely catastrophic. Because even though I'd left the ministry, I'd never left church. We were in church the following Sunday. And I was always very involved in church. I loved church. So I taught Sunday school. I uh, uh, led worship. I filled in for the preacher when he was gone. I loved church. Mm. In church, I could be the man I wanted to be. St. Nate could breathe at church. I just couldn't get that person to breathe on his own for very long outside the building. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I felt horrible about that. Anyway, uh, 20 years into marriage, we made a move. We moved from South Florida to Tennessee. And it was shortly after that uh, that my wife finally walked in on me one night uh, as I was masturbating to porn. And, uh, you know, she sat, she took me back into the bedroom uh, and sat me down and she said, uh, you know, we had this, we had this long conversation. And at the end of it, she forgave me. But a few days later, um, she found a condom on the floor in the bathroom that I couldn't quite explain. And uh, this time uh, she she didn't cry. She was very calm, but she said to me the words I will never forget. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't think you can ever change. Mm -hmm. Those are the words that fit, that, that really saved my life. At that point, I knew that my only friendship was about to end. 
And if there was going to be any chance for it to survive, I was going to have to do something I had never done before. I was actually going to have to go for help. So um, <clears throat> I didn't go to the church for help. Um, I was I was too afraid to, of losing my reputation, uh, scarring myself for life, disqualifying myself from, you know, any status in the church. Um, I didn't go to a therapist. By this point, I was out of money. Mm. Uh, instead, I went to a 12-step meeting for sex addicts. Uh, and it was there that I met a lot of people with stories like mine. Different in the details, but essentially the same. Uh, and it was there that uh, I encountered God in a whole new way. It was there I found a freedom to... Um, face the truth to say the real truth it was there that i found help um not preaching but coaching somebody who would walk with me mm -hmm. um and uh i want to tell you that revolutionized my life reinvigorate reinvigorated and uh revolutionized my faith which up until this point had been very intellectual um, and, uh, you know, saved my life. And although Allie and I had a few rough years, rocky years, I slept in the closet for a couple of years. Um, we reestablished a friendship that blossomed again into romance. And, uh, you know, we will soon celebrate our 42nd wedding anniversary Mm. And Allie often says that as rough as those first 20 years were, she'd take them again in a heartbeat to get what we have now. Wow. Um, so, uh, you know, eventually I wanted to be able to share this experience with other Christian guys. I became aware that uh, porn use and sex addiction statistics within the church are essentially the same as those outside the church perhaps even slightly higher because we have to hide it. Yeah. Uh, and so many of us are sentenced to this solo battle. Right. And this is a, if you are truly addicted, there's, I'm convinced there's no solo way out. Eventually you're going to become too tired, too afraid, too disgusted to carry on. And you're, you're going to run out of steam. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so I wanted to share it. And uh, so eventually we started a group called the Samson Society with some of the guys I was traveling with. And that was in 2004. And uh, here we are. It's already, as you and I are speaking, 2021. How yeah. the hell did that happen? <laughs> uh, yes. And Samson Society has thousands of members around the, around the, around the globe. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I, I don't take yeah. it lightly. Um, it's, you know, and, and, uh, in, in your story and in your book and really all that encompasses what Samson society is that there's, uh, a theme of vulnerability. There's a, there's a theme where, you know, you're mm -hmm. at a spot, you're at a spot in life now where you, you're not doing this alone and you're not hiding and you, you did the first half of your life or you know that season of your life yeah. alone and in hiding and i i i wonder you know 
what would you say to men and women who are listening who are struggling with could be pornography it could be other sexual sinful you know sexual sin acts um acting out i should Mm -hmm. say beyond that um maybe it's other things they're hiding i don't know i i feel like as i hear your story and your message and then i i look at the church at large just kind of speaking in broad general terms uh the church is really good at at turning us into hiders it's really good at yeah uh, everything's always good and fine. And hey, how's everybody doing? You doing good? And, and we, it's like you have to be doing good because you're a Christian. And, mm-hmm. and we, we even in you know small group ministry, the prayer requests are about a sick family member or about your kids or about your job. And meanwhile, I feel like it might be an overstatement, but I feel like everybody <laughs> is hiding something and and yeah. really really struggling and suffering. So. What's your advice for someone who's in that spot where they're hiding or, and and you mentioned this in Samson and the Pirate Monks, for, for you, you said, I wanted God to help me without involving anyone else. And I think a lot of us are there, right? Where we're like, no, I, I want help. Sure. I, this isn't good. And I'm not, I'm not okay with this sin in my life. I want God to help me though. Like I'm going to him, but I'm not going to talk to anybody else about it. Um, what, I mean, you've walked this journey. What, what advice do you have for someone in that boat right now? Yeah, well, I think, you know, most of our attempts at reform are shame driven, right? So, and the church tends to be, well, the society at large, but the church especially tends to think that shame is a good thing. And we try to shame each other and shame ourselves into better behavior. Um, where the New Testament, you know, tells us that Jesus, uh, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. He embraced the most shameful death imaginable because he was dying for our shame. Shame was our first reaction to our, 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 our own brokenness, the way the Bible tells the story back in the garden. As, as soon as Adam and Eve, uh, you know, contravene the law, law of God and do the one thing you're not supposed to do, they feel shame and cover up. Uh, so we tend to try to shame each other into better behavior and shame ourselves into better behavior. And that only leaves us lonelier, mm-hmm. separated from God. We are separating ourselves from him, Right by our own shame, turning away and trying to fix it. Uh, That was, I mean, that's, I tried to shame my way into better behavior for a very long time. And I was raised by well-meaning parents who employed shame, uh, you know, like a bludgeon. Mm. Um, I am so grateful that Jesus died, not just for my guilt, but for my shame, that he voluntarily, uh, embraced not only the most painful death imaginable, but the most shameful death yeah, imaginable. Yeah. To be hoisted, you know, spread eagle, naked, stripped naked. Usually, you know, in our depictions of the crucifixion, he's got this nice loincloth. Right. No, there was yeah. no freaking loincloth, right? He chose the most painful, he embraced the most shameful death available because he was dying not just for our guilt, but for our shame. And the message is you don't have to hide anymore. Mm-hmm. Don't have to hide. 
Uh, when we believe the gospel and when we believe that we are covered by a righteousness that's not our own and it's not anything we can maintain or have to maintain, we trust, we trust, you know, this alien righteousness, as Luther put it. Um, and now we can actually be vulnerable with one another. Mm-hmm. My advice is, though, you know, not everybody gets this. Uh, Jesus has counseled us not to cast our pearls before swine. Mm. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm not I'm not advising anybody just to go out there and spill their most shameful secret to anybody uh, who will listen. Uh, there are people who are safe and the people who are safe are those who have faced, admitted uh, their own brokenness, yeah. found their own place of healing, right? Um, I went off on a rant and even forgot the departure point. You you asked me a very good question. No, it's good. It, yeah, it evaporated some it's, some somewhere during the course that of that. Happens to me all the time. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Just just for a person who's there, um, they're like you were in that point where you, you're you're only looking to God to help you, but not willing. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To get help from yeah. from other people, yeah. and then. Yeah. Not being vulnerable, you know, like the, the inability yeah. to be vulnerable. And how does a person, how does a person break through? Yeah. Yeah. You know, vulnerability. I used to think that my, the best gift I could give to anybody was my strength. Hmm. And I was an admired person. Uh, I'm still an admired person, but <laughs> for different things. But uh, I was admired for my intellect, for the fact that I seemed to have a ready answer that I seemed to have it all together, that I did the right thing, said the right thing. And I so carefully, uh, you know, arranged my performances, my public performances, that I could maintain that illusion, right? And so I actually was a pastor for five years and I was a church leader, but you know what? There is very little lasting fruit from those years, Mm -hmm. if any. I mean, those were mostly wasted years. Here's what I've found. The best gift I can give another person is not my strength, but my weakness. To step in and, and, and say me too, to climb down off the pedestal and just be a man among men, just to be another bozo on the bus. And together, let's talk about, I, I don't have to be the savior. I don't have to have the answers. We trust that as we walk together in honesty and vulnerability, we will be accompanied by mm-hmm. <laughs> by somebody far bigger than us, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there will be an unseen person in the conversation. So um, you know, my advice is find that person who is comfortable with their own, brokenness not that they've made peace with sin but they've made but but they've they've stopped as best they can they've stopped the show yeah and they're not performing anymore they've placed their hope in a righteousness that's not their own and now they can live in humility and they can talk freely about their own failures without drowning in shame those are the folks who it is safe now to tell your story to. Mm-hmm. And here's what I find. When I tell my story, 
very often I suddenly become the safest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And up to that point, the conversations have been very shallow. Yeah. And then I dump, jump in the deep end of the pool and then suddenly people go, oh, oh, we're going there. We can have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I never told anybody this, but boom. And then they give me that thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then the two of us can do what no one of us ever could. We're, we're made to walk together. We can do this together, but we cannot do it alone. Mm. Yeah, and I see that modeled, right? I see that modeled in your story. I see that modeled in Samson Society. Uh, I see that I see that modeled with men that I walk with, uh, you know, and, and that experience you had at the uh, the SA meeting and how different mm-hmm. it was from church, you know, how different it was where you walked out going, wow, that was the most vulnerable, you know, authentic experience <laughs> I've ever had. I've never had that in church before. Yeah. Man, I think, I think that is such a problem. And no, no matter what I'm talking about on the podcast, I, I often do talk about sexual struggles. Uh, I just encourage listeners to lead with their own vulnerability, because I think, well, I believe, I know if, if we believe in grace, so if we call ourselves Christians, the basic tenet of that is that we believe in grace and that we've, we've needed grace. Like to be a Christian is to say, I need grace. Like I, I don't measure up. Yeah. So it's like, we forget that though, after the, the conversion or the, the sort of the prayer that we pray and, and yet the way oftentimes, you know, this culture that we're sort of talking about, plays itself out is we don't live like we need grace and we don't live like you need mm-hmm. grace and I need grace. And if I was changed by grace, cause I'm super messed up and it's cool now with Jesus, cause I've got him, then by all means you have access to the same grace. And if you can share how you're messed up, I'm the same messed up and I have the same grace you have. So, <laughs> so you ought to be able to tell me and I ought to be able to tell you. And then we just, walk together, we can celebrate, you know, the grace that we have. And, and so I, I see it as a, I kind of word it as a, we don't really believe in grace in the church. You know, if, if we believed in grace, vulnerability would follow that those two things, yeah. those two things should go, should go hand in hand. And so I want to, I want to pivot with that in mind to uh, something you, you talk about um, towards the end of Samson and the Pirate Monks about your belief in, in the gospel. You're, you, you said yeah. uh, with each passing year of your recovery, uh, it was kind of the context, the years it was starting to turn. You said with each passing year, uh, I came to believe the gospel a little more. Uh, you also said you grew up singing Jesus loves me in Sunday school, but you did not believe Jesus loved you unconditionally. And I think that mm-hmm. uh, for many Christians out there, they're like, they're, what, what are you talking about? How can you believe the gospel more? Don't you just believe it? You just you just sort of believe this this you know formula, and now you're good. Um, what was that journey like for you to to believe the gospel a little bit more each year? And what is that still like for you? Because because ultimately, I think that leads us to what we all are looking for, right? Like this thing that we think sex and relationships will give us those deep, deep layers of the gospel is where we actually find it. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I would say that, you know, when I first entered recovery for sex addiction, I was focused 
just on conquering this life-controlling obsessive behavior. And, uh, and, and that was my sole focus. And I remember a sponsor, a, a Christian sponsor telling me, he said, um, look, you need to conquer this. You need freedom from this sex thing. Uh, but if you think that fixing that is going to fix you hmm. and make you happy, you're crazy because sex, he said, is not your problem. Um, sex is your favorite solution. He said your deeper problems are what we're going to talk about. So it's not just about we're going to reform your sexual behavior and stop this crazy thing and everything else is fine. Uh, he said, um, we're going to talk about fear, uh, anger, resentment, self-pity. Uh, <laughs> he said, you, you know, you're far sicker than you know. Hmm. And the gospel is far bigger than you, than you understand. Um, so, um, it's, it's amazing to me. It's as though, you know, I think my ambition when I got into recovery was to become a better Pharisee, right? A more, I wanted to become a successful Pharisee. And I don't think it's God's design ever to make us a more successful Pharisee. I think we're making progress in the Christian life when we become more and more aware of our own brokenness, to know that we actually are sicker than we understood. And at the same time, more loved than we can ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it's as though I, th I think as we make progress in the Christian life, we go farther down this road. We, we begin to see that what we, th these things that we imagine in the beginning are really our problems are just our favorite solutions, mm. that the problems are actually deeper and that, um, and that we need healing. And here's the thing. We become agents of healing as we are willing to just ask for help, give help, and live as transparently as possible in, in, in as much humility as we can uh, you know, manage to carry. I'm, kind of gr I'm grateful to be a sex addict because it happens to be a nice humiliating addiction. <laughs> it's not very respectable, right? And, and, and that's something that I need because I'm naturally this arrogant guy. Hmm. Uh, my, my inclination is to polish up my, uh, my image to win admiration. Hmm. And that's, I mean, that runs just so counter to God's purposes and counter to my own happiness and fulfillment. Hmm. I find there's much more peace and happiness, not in getting any bigger, but in getting smaller. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, I just went all over the place on that. No, I don't know. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Uh, no, I love that question. I mean, everybody answers it a little bit differently. And I think we, you know, just, uh, there, there's such a need for, oh man, like, especially in recovery, we're, we're, we're looking for, you know, with my story, I, I, I start out, uh, beyond the battle with a little note to my wife. And I just say up front, I was looking for you to give me what only Jesus could give me. 
And right. looking at, you know, all of my sexual sin and temptation, I was always and I'm still looking for when I when I fall into that mode of fantasy uh, for women, sex, relationships to give me what only Jesus you know, can give me. And that, 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 uh, that, that comes out in, in sex and relationships. It comes out in, you know, as you talk about, I love the stuff you wrote about, you know, the false self, some false self stuff Mm -hmm. has really helped me in my journey because for me, and I've been talking about this recently on my podcast, uh, last episode and kind of the lead up to this one, just with, you know, publishing a book and being a pastor and, uh, there's, you know, and you, I wanted to talk to you about this before, before during the interview as well. For uh, there's the, the the way that we we seek this. I call it validation, approval, mm-hmm. acceptance. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the words I use. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for that in yeah. John Eldridge's word, the golden-haired woman that he talks about in Wild at Heart. That's um, that's what I look for in the golden-haired woman. And I can only find it in Jesus, and it's but it's not a vaccine, which is what I used to think. Uh, that that uh. I got this figured out now, <laughs> and I, even I wrote, I wrote this book. I'm an expert now. Like I don't even struggle with yeah. this stuff anymore, you know. And I started yeah. closing myself off, closing myself off, and even in the groups I would lead, I wasn't being open and vulnerable because. Um, I was the leader now. I was the expert. I was the one to answer yeah, you know, yeah. all those questions, and I yeah. think. The way we set up ministry, the way we set up the pastoral role or this author role, uh, this sort of public persona role in, in the word yeah. you use persona in the book. Let me just read um, what, what you said. You said a persona is hollow and is therefore plagued by a constant empty feeling. It may try to fill that inner void with any number of things, applause, excitement, food, sex, romance, knowledge, money, just to name a few, but the emptiness never goes away. And you also said a false self can never rest. And I think that's something everybody can relate to. You don't have to have the same the story that you have or the story that I have to be able to relate to that that hollow uh, persona, you know, inside, inside mm-hmm. of you. And I wonder, you know, from your experience being a pastor for those five years and seeing that sort of on full display, your experience at seminary, and those were not good years of your life. Now your experience, uh, you're, you're helping um, many men, some pastors, you're, you're doing a lot of work in churches, you're doing special, mm-hmm. you're doing speaking engagements and things like that. Uh, so kind of, kind of, kind of, I don't, I'm not, I guess in some ways I'm 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 changing the subject. I'm I'm pivoting the subject a little bit. Uh, wh- what is it? And and feel free to speak to me on this too. Like I'm in, I tell my listeners I'm just going to be vulnerable about where I'm at. I I I, I you know there's yeah. there's an allure there's an That's allure awesome. that we have. Like to say that we're not oh ego that I don't have any issues with ego. Oh there's there's no allure there's no allure to me with you know more social media followers or checking how many books I sell. <laughs> There's no allure. I'm way more spiritual than that. I want to I want to yeah. swear and I'm trying not to. Uh that is uh that's BS. That's that there is an allure and when we lie yeah. about it, when we say there's not is when we fall. I think that's in the same with sex. It's like, oh, there's no allure for me for sex. I'm fine. That's that's when we fall. So now I'm going all over yeah. the place. I'm I'm following your lead. Um my question is the pastoral role and this Christian subculture where we create celebrityism, 
what's right. yeah. why why or what in the world what like diagnose that and 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 is there a way out and let me and I'll finish my question with this again from your book you said when you moved to Tennessee you it was the first time you heard a pastor admitting his own brokenness and he was talking yeah. about sin in the in the present tense and that was a turning point yeah. for you in your journey so maybe that's a good place to start yeah. but I think we just need a lot more of that in church yeah. and we need pastors to stop acting and authors to stop acting like we're so special and we need people to stop treating us like we're so special um yeah and you know i'm in the middle of it and i'm in the middle of my own soul journey of just going is it even possible to do this type of stuff and not fall you know into those traps yeah yeah you know, there is so much pressure to perform. Uh, it's a pressure that we put on ourselves because we have learned in life that we get validation yeah. uh, with a good performance. So we go for the applause and, you know, we're terrified of the quiet room or uh, the averted glance. So, you know, we learn to tap dance. Hmm. There is a pressure that, that uh, comes at the pulpit from the congregation in some churches, you know, it's, it's this spoken or unspoken, mostly unspoken, but, but implicit, but, but understood arrangement. Uh, we need somebody who can demonstrate that the Christian life is doable. Mm. Uh, and uh, so we're going to pay somebody to do it. And so here, and we'll, 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 you can support yourself. You can support a family. Uh, all you got to do is climb up on this pedestal and talk to us every week and stay on that pedestal. But if you fall, climb down or God forbid, fall down, you're done. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to get somebody, we're going to find somebody else who will climb up there. Um, now I, I, for a long time, and you know, my my resentment, I, I put the blame on the congregation for that. Uh, I don't think it right. Here's what I've discovered: I've discovered that the congregation, not everybody, but most folks in the congregation, take a big, deep sigh of relief mm -hmm. when. Um, when the person in the pulpit signals that it's okay to be human. Yeah. Uh, and when he or she talks about their current struggle in the present tense, uh, because that's when the gospel comes alive. Mm -hmm. if, if, uh, if sin is not an ongoing struggle, then who needs the gospel anyway? Right. I, I mean, it's right. Um, I have, now I have much more liberty than, you know, the normal pastor who's going to be in the same pulpit, uh, every week, Sunday after Sunday, I get to, I get to be able to walk in the door and do a nice big vulnerability display. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, but here's, here's what I have. My experience is that, you know, I don't have to vomit over the congregation all of the details of my uh, current struggle. Mm 
But I need to be able to be honest with the fact that there is an ongoing battle. There is always a front line. There is always a spot where the battle is the hottest. Um, and as long as I can convey that, um, I relieve my listeners of the burden of having to hide their own. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what I have found is that the, the more transparent I am, the more transparent my listeners become. Yeah. And then the more we appropriate and appreciate the gospel, and then the sweeter our fellowship, and we, come, we become more humble and more grateful and more useful and more human. And that's what the gospel is supposed to produce, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And I don't know how many how many pastors listen to this podcast. I'm sure some do. And if if they are, I would just I would encourage them with that to to man, to, yeah, to just let the gospel be on display, let grace be on display by showing your need for it. And 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 that it's yeah. and, and and for 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 churchgoers, I, I would just say Ah, I mean, usually. So here's a th- what's funny: we don't t- typically worship our own pastor. He's he or she is the one that we complain about and you know gripe about. But it's, it's, <laughs> right, these, right, right, right. it's these these celebrity pastors. It's that oh, you know that Nate Larkin man. <laughs> yeah. He's woo. He's so yeah. man. I love him, and I'll go to see go to his yeah. conferences, and I'll get his. I get a selfie with him and get an autograph with him, and. And I, it's just like, yeah. what in the world? Stop doing that. Stop it. Like, pastors are just people, and we're pastors are supposed to be servants, like shepherds. You just, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. something I'm just seeing. I'm seeing more and more, and I think it's bad for the pastors, and it's bad for the yeah. the, the church. You know, so, uh, so yeah, I love it. I love right. that the, the answer to this is vulnerability. It's and and that answer leads yeah. us to more of the gospel it leads us to more of grace and getting to experience grace so uh let me let me get you out of here with this uh just tell tell listeners a little bit more about samson society and i would love for some listeners to join uh so so tell uh men who are listening about what it is and uh just your invitation for them to to jump in and participate Oh, awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah. Samson Society is a mutual aid society for Christian men. Uh, it is not uh, a solely a fellowship of Christian sex addicts. You don't have to be a sex addict to join. It helps, but uh, it's not required. <laughs> we have uh, we have plenty of guys in Samson whose primary battle is, is something else. So, so it might be uh, drugs and alcohol. It might be uh, gambling. It might be, we have guys who are just uh, self-identified Pharisees. <laughs> um, but it's a safe place to bring your real self and say the real truth and make real friendship. Uh, and uh, yeah, just get out of this endless losing game of one-on-one against a superior opponent uh, and begin to play the Christian life the way it's intended to be played. This is a team sport, not an individual event. So uh, when we are together, uh, we can accomplish together what we can never accomplish in isolation. So that's what the Samson Society is. There are local groups, uh, most of them in North America, uh, but there are also uh, online groups. Uh, Our goal is to have at least one 
online meeting every hour of every day. Uh, we've made great progress toward that goal during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. In fact, now there are meetings not just in English, but also in uh, uh, Italian and Spanish and mm-hmm. uh, French. That's awesome. And uh, there's another one coming up soon. Uh, so you can find brothers uh, and you can have you can get into a, a one hour meeting as frequently as you want. You can attend as many meetings as you want. Make friends, find some uh, and you can find people uh who you can you know share life with and talk without a filter and uh you know help and be helped it's absolutely revolutionary what happens when we give up our ambition to be solo heroic christians yeah when we get out of this losing game of one-on-one uh and actually begin to operate as brothers so uh there are meetings at samson society dot uh, org or dot com uh, in order to get into the virtual meetings, by the way, we got a few thousand guys in those. Uh, you, you're going to have to first attend a newcomer meeting where you get some orientation and where we can satisfy ourselves that you're actually there for yourself and for recovery. And, uh, you know, after that first newcomer meeting, there's one, at least one every day after a newcomer meeting then you can join. It costs nothing to join, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, you know, but you can find uh, friends and brothers. And, uh, you know, if, you, uh, if you're tired of uh, a losing game of one-on-one against whatever uh, that besetting sin in your life is today, uh, you can... In a, in a concrete way, not just trust Christ, but trust the body of Christ. Mm, yeah. In a way that can really turn the corner and take you to a new place. Man, that, that last, wow, I wasn't planning to go off on another t- point, but that's such a good point. I'm glad you said that, that we, when we trust the body of Christ, it's, it's literally his body. It's Jesus's body. And yeah. it's, it's, uh, there's more and more books even being written about the, how that heals the trauma in our brains yeah. and how uh, we we not only believe in our left brain that Jesus loves us unconditionally, but when someone sitting across from me is modeling that love of Jesus to me, I then experience it in, yeah. my, in my right brain. And wow, huge. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and and, and yeah. that's another reason why you can't, you just can't do this alone. Um I thought of one more question. If you answer it poorly, I promise I will edit it out, okay? So I don't mean to put you on the spot. I say that a, a little tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm because sh- I get asked this, so I get asked this, and I don't always have a great answer. So my groups are for men. My book is for men. Mm-hmm. Um, many yeah. of the resources out there are for men. And you've been doing this long enough and on a, a, a large scale. Yeah. You've got to get asked this a lot. Can you, uh, if, if you have resources, you, you recommend two types. One, for women who are uh, some sometimes I hear it be called women who've been betrayed, like be- betrayed women, uh, women, yeah, yeah. wives, yeah, 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 usually yeah, yeah. wives whose husbands have cheated or have uh, having a porn addiction. Do you have a, a, a recommendation there for women listening? And then also women who are struggling, women who are struggling themselves with pornography or with uh, with. Um, you know, sexual sin, it feels like, and, 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 uh, you and I can't offer that type of 
group or help or resource, uh, where do you where do yeah. you direct where do you direct women that are in either one of those two boats? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, this, uh, a lot of the, the Samson wives have been getting together and forming, the, uh, holding their own meetings nice. and uh, forming their own societies in their own relationships. So uh, they're, 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 within the next couple of weeks, there will be a link to the Sarah Society. I think that's what they're calling it. Oh, wow. That's um, awesome. On the uh, Samson site, they're cool. building their own site and networking. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, these wives and girlfriends, uh, you know, life partners of Christian male sex addicts, you know, they paid a price in trauma. Uh, and, uh, but somehow uh, Jesus heals in relationships. And when we get out of the shame, a lot of women, they're so ashamed of uh, the way their relationship has wound up on the rocks and they've taken responsibility for it that isn't theirs or uh, they don't want to uh, you know hurt their husband or boyfriend's reputation with some kind of public disclosure they're all wrapped up in shame somehow it's they take responsibility that isn't theirs and they can go to a very dark place yeah but get those women together and it's amazing how much life and laughter and insight uh comes so yeah uh, Sarah Society, and you can you'll be able to get to them off the Samson Society site within the next couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, the and the numbers really are pretty terrifying right now. The you know female porn addicts and sex addicts that's the fastest growing de demographic, mm -hmm. fed uh, largely by the internet. So um, you know now when we're looking at teens and preteens, you know the sex addiction. Uh, statistics between the genders are i mean the gap is closing quickly so yeah. we've got an awful lot of women that are in a where where you know the joy and the wonder of intimate sex has been polluted from their earliest sexual awareness and uh and so these women need help and healing um uh marnie foray is doing fantastic work uh and um uh, Crystal Renaud, R-E-N-A-U-D. She's changed the name of her ministry. It was Dirty Girls Ministries, uh, which was kind of a funny twist in the beginning. But she, uh, I, I, I need to reconnect with Crystal because she's moving in a in a broader direction. Uh, that's really where uh, I think the next frontier in yeah. Christian ministry to sex addicts is going is to help these hurting women, girls, uh, because it isn't just the guys anymore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I will link to all yeah. those in the show notes. I'll find, I'll track them down and find the links. And, okay, and I just good. want to welcome at the end, I guess I want, I, but I, I want to welcome women into this conversation and know that that stigma and shame can be worse for them because in the church yeah. it can feel like well i guess some men are okay to struggle with this but nobody's talking about you know women uh, yeah. who are struggling so just know that we're with you and we love you and we are in the same boat together and and uh i'm excited to hear you know about these these places that women can connect and and find the same freedom yeah. so that's fantastic well nate man thanks so much thanks for coming on and and being vulnerable thanks for sharing and uh my oh, prayer my joy Man, this has been great. My prayer is that that listeners will will just model this vulnerability and and experience 
you know, the same grace that you've experienced. So, so keep up the great work with Samson Society. And uh, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Noah. Great talking with you. All right. And we're back. Man, that interview, I love, I love Nate's heart. I love the the overall message of the Pirate Monks book, and, and even you, you heard it uh, all throughout Nate's story. It's this message that you can't do it alone. And I try to talk about that as much as I can here on the flip side, that where grace lives, vulnerability abounds. And so if there's grace and we believe in grace, then vulnerability abounds. Vulnerability ought to be the, the natural next step to a grace-believing community. So lead with vulnerability in your communities. I hope this interview and this episode has inspired you to take steps of vulnerability. Maybe it's a private conversation that you have with a close friend and you confide in them. Maybe it's talking to your pastor or your small group leader. Maybe you just break the ice in your small group and you just say, here's my story. Here's a part of my story I've never told you. And it's it's present tense. It's still happening and I need some help. And I need some people I can talk to about my story. I need to shine light into dark places. And if you don't have a community like that, samsonsociety.com is a great place for that. And as you know, I also lead groups of men through my book, Beyond the Battle. We meet for seven weeks over Zoom. You can check those out at beyondthebattle.net. And brand new, never been done before uh, with our Beyond the Battle over three years of doing it. We are starting an alumni Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time group uh, that I participate in as a peer where where the alumni of Beyond the Battle get together and we talk about uh, all the truths that we learn from the book. We remind ourselves that we're loved by God, that we are his sons, that our identity is in Christ, and we pray for each other and hold each other accountable the way that we do uh, during our seven weeks. And that's that's a way that I'm doing this. That's a way that I'm staying with this so so that I don't get to a point where I think I've graduated, so that I'm, I'm always being reminded of these truths because, because we need that. We need to be reminded of these truths, of who we are in Christ, that that's where our identity is, not putting our identity in all those false self ways that we talked about, and we need to continually remind ourselves over and over and over again of who we are. Because I tell you what, the world, Satan is at work. <laughs> the world, man, the world's really lost. And it is like a tidal wave. It's like a wormhole. It sucks you in. You're, you're always swimming upstream, it feels like. And so it's super important to have community in your life that's reminding you of who you are in Christ. And that you're reminding yourself of that. Or I should say you're allowing the Holy Spirit to remind you of that every day uh, during your quiet time with God, to to literally be quiet and listen and let the Holy Spirit speak God's love over you, the the love that is so true uh, of who you are as God's son, God's daughter, his beloved child, and to allow God to speak that to you every day, irregularly. And that's that's the journey that we're on. So so thank you for tuning in to the flip side. If you are tuning in for the first time, if you follow Nate 
What I should mention as well, I didn't mention this in his bio, but uh, natelarkin.net. You can connect with Nate there, and there's a contact if you want to follow up on the conversation uh, with Nate, natelarkin.net. But if you're a a fan of Nate and you kind of follow him and you've never heard the flip side before, well, here comes a moment in podcasting history that you have never experienced before. And it's a little thing that we like to call Noah's Rant. And (laughs) last episode, I didn't have Noah's Rant. And I know there were those of you out there, Bashir, I feel you. I feel you. I know you're hurting. I know you are sad. I know you got to the end of episode 44 and you you went, what? What? This is is like Thanksgiving dinner without the pumpkin pie. I mean, how... How can you get to the end of a flip side and not have Noah's rant? And and truth be told, I need those of you, <laughs> those of you that like Noah's rant. I I I need to hear that you like it because there always is that the sane part of me, you know, the the sane, well balanced part of me. There is there that does live inside of me as well, and and that sane, well balanced part of me always goes. You know, you really shouldn't do Noah's rant. <laughs> You really sound like an idiot. So, so I need the support. I need the. I'm calling out to my community here on the flip side. I need the moral support for Noah's rant. But this is this is epic. This has never been done uh, in a, you know any other podcast out there. You'll never find podcasting quality such as this. I'll let you be the judge of what type of quality it is on which end of the spectrum. But you quote that you you will never find quality of this type uh, anywhere else in the podcasting world. This is also your your warning, fair warning. Uh, if you if you have sensibilities, if you have if you are a well balanced person, stop now. Turn off the podcast. You've been warned. Uh, any anything you hear from this point on is is pure shenanigans and nonsense. And if you don't like it when you listen to it and you go, "That was the dumbest thing I ever heard," it's your fault. It's your fault because I'm warning you now. Stop listening. You don't want to listen to what's next. Without further ado, it's the one and only Noah's rant. Noah's rant. All right. So check this out. I was grocery shopping at Aldi. I don't know if Aldi's nationwide or not. This is not an, a rant against Aldi. I could do an anti-rant for Aldi. Aldi is my place. Aldi is my people. I love Aldi. You get great deals at Aldi. But on this one trip to Aldi, I was tricked. I, I was seduced. I was lulled to sleep thinking, oh, it's Aldi. Everything is cheap here. And so I'm buying apples. We consume mass quantities of apples in my house. The apple of choice in my house is the gala apple. Or pr- maybe it's a gala apple. I don't know. I typically go with gala. Uh, so let me know if that's a controversial subject or not. But uh, Gala Apples, that's that's where it's at. At, at Meyer, you can get a bag of at Galas for four bucks or so. Uh, Aldi, it's usually around, I think, three or four. And that's it. They, they, it's, it's everything you need in an apple. It's sweet, but not too sweet. It's not sour. They're 
big, they're juicy, Gala is where it's at. Now, there's this thing. If you shop for apples anywhere, I'm talking at the grocery store, I'm talking at an orchard, you go down the different types of apples, and all the apples are the same price. Uh, three bucks a bag, four bucks a bag, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, depending on where you're at. The only, the only apple uh, that you shouldn't buy is a Red Delicious. Let's just get that out there. This is not a rant against Red Delicious, more of a public service announcement. Red Delicious apples are nasty. All other apples, though, they're good, right? Very good. Uh, about the same price. You know, you're checking which apple do I want. And then you, you get to the end of the aisle and you go, what in the world? There, there's a bag of apples. It just looks like all the rest of the bag of apples, but it's eight bucks. The gala apples are four bucks, but what is this? What is this? This magical apple that costs eight dollars? And you, 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 you closer inspect. You're trying to figure out: is it, is it, is it gold plated? Is it diamond encrusted? What on earth could make an apple eight dollars? And 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 you you read the sign. It is a it is a honey crisp. Apple. It is a honey crisp apple. Honey crisp apples are eight dollars for a bag of apples, whereas all the rest of the apples are three or four dollars. And you're going, whoa, something. These must be amazing. These must be so much better than all other apples. And you have to know why. Oh, this is not what the rant's about. This is a mistake that I, you know, made many, many years ago in my young and foolish years, wanting to know, wanting to taste the forbidden fruit, the $8 fruit. Who in their like, in their right mind would buy a bag of apples for $8 when there's a bag right next to them for four? But it got you. It catches you and you go, whoa, there must be something amazing about those apples. And so... You reach for the bag of Honeycrisp apples and you notice that your fellow shoppers in the grocery aisle take notice. They go, ho, whoa, look at that guy. Look at that gal. They are reaching for the $8 Honeycrisp apples. That is a person of status. That is a person of high style. That is a person that drives a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. That's what that person is. And you feel good about yourself. You kind of puff up a little as people admire you for reaching for the $8 bag of Honeycrisp apples. And you, you put it in your cart and you, you walk a little bit taller as you walk around the grocery store. And you say, yeah, that's right. I buy Honeycrisp apples. You bet. You better believe that that's the type of person I am. That's the type of culture I roll in. That's the type of society that I live in. Honeycrisp, baby, $8 for a bag of apples. That's how I roll. You're cashing out, and the person working the register, they're going, whoa, wow, impressive choice. Yeah, I I mean, not everybody buys Honeycrisp. Only, only a certain type of... Of, of status person buys you. So you go home and, and now you're in highfalutin society and you're expecting this apple cost two, sometimes three times more than a regular apple. It will be so delicious and you take a bite and it, it tastes just exactly like a gala apple, actually. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't taste any different. And you, you kind of wonder, you look inside and you go, 
is this are these gala apples like did somebody at the apple uh, factory <laughs> i mean they got to get bagged somewhere right the apple warehouse there we go someone at the apple warehouse just go hey hey bill check this out we're gonna take gala apples we're gonna we're gonna put them in a bag different we're gonna put in this bag is gonna be called honeycrisp apples we're gonna charge three times as much and people are so dumb they're gonna buy them because that's people people need their apple in order to to in order to tell them the world how you know rich and cool and and high status they are and they're like dude nobody's gonna fall for that no way nobody's gonna they're gonna know that those are just gala apples they're the, they, they taste the same no no check this out all you gotta do is make it three times more expensive and people will drop their jaw when they see it and go i must have that i must i must have that honeycrisp apple and let and let the people in the grocery aisle watch me with my Honeycrisp apple in my cart and the cashier person be in awe of me, maybe want to take a selfie with me because I buy Honeycrisp apples. So that's uh, that, that, I think, is how Honeycrisp apples got uh, onto the market. The orchards picked up the same thing. They have rows of the exact same apple, and they just mark them as Honeycrisp, and they, they charge you for, for three times more. So, so back to Aldi. I'm at Aldi, and I never, ever, ever buy Honeycrisp apples because they taste just like Gala apples, and and they're they're at least two times more expensive. And I'm a very sensible, well balanced person. I think we've established that already. And so, no, no I'm not going to buy those. So at Aldi, they they have one of those, you know, those those cute little paper bags of apples like you'd get at the orchard and they have them every once in a while at the grocery store they're sometimes brown paper bags with a little handle on them or it's a white paper bag with a little handle and you, and you go wow that is cute i i really want that i need that it feels like i'm at the orchard those must be freshly picked apples those must not be these ones that have been in the warehouse all winter in the deep freeze or, or whatever they do to them to keep them fresh these must be straight from the orchard even though it is uh it was the end of february in michigan while while i'm having this experience there's no price on this little bag of apples oh and i did i mention they're honey crisp apples i told you before right when i started we need vulnerable community reminding us reminding us of the truths of who we are in christ and if we don't have that we go looking for it elsewhere well, as I told Nate and I told you, I'm vulnerable with you. I confess my sin in present tense as a, as a pastor should, as Nate and I talked about. And let me just say this. I haven't had enough people reminding me in my life recently that my identity does not come from eating a Honeycrisp apple, that my identity, my value, my approval does not come from people looking at me in the grocery aisle holding a Honeycrisp apple up and being in awe of me. And, and it's been a while and I've let my guard down, and I'll be honest, I backslid. I'll be honest, I saw the Honeycrisp in the bag, I forgot what they tasted like, and, and it, it, all that rush came back to me. All of that anticipation came back to me. There must be something amazing about these apples, and they're at Aldi, therefore they must be a good deal, even though there's no price on them. Nothing is marked. So I grabbed a little bag of apples, and 
to to kind of uh, fill out my cart. I grabbed a couple bags of gala as well, filled up all, on all the rest of the goods at Aldi, went to the register, checked out, great deal on my groceries. It wasn't until I got home and looked at the receipt, and I'm telling you, I paid $7 for six apples in that little white bag. Did you hear what I just said? $7. That's over a dollar an apple in that little white bag of Honeycrisp apples. When you go to snack on an apple, you don't think I'm throwing a dollar in the garbage can right now. No, you think, oh, apples are a good deal, a good value. They're healthy. I'm just going to eat an apple. I realize that each of these apples is more than a dollar. That's incredible to me. I feel wronged. I feel violated. I feel shame. I feel anger at Aldi, and, 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 I, and I love Aldi. And here I am, because of backsliding into eating Honeycrisp apples, I'm now angry at the grocery store that I love. Relationship shambles we're talking about. So I go, well, I bought them. Might as well eat them, right? Take a bite of that Honeycrisp apple, and guess what? It tastes exactly like a gala apple are you kidding me are you kidding me who 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 do they why do they make honey crisp apples who do they make honey crisp apples for why do they charge three dollars three times more for honey crisp apples than they do regular apples i'm telling you it's an injustice and if you're new to the podcast and somehow you didn't listen to my disclaimer to not listen to noise rant and you're still listening let me tell you, Noah's Rand exists to rid the world of injustice. And, and that is what Noah's Rand is all about. And that's what we did today. That's what we did today. Uh, we, we are exposing, we are exposing the atrocity of the injustice that is Honeycrisp apples. And I'm sorry for those of you that buy them, I'm exposing the fraud of the apple that you buy. I'm exposing it, and I want you to come back to your identity being in Jesus. I want you to know that you don't need your friends to think you're so cool because you have a Honeycrisp apple in your hand. You don't need that. You don't need that false sense of approval. You don't need that false sense of, of validation. Jesus loves you just the way you are. You, you can't add to that by holding a Honeycrisp apple, and you can't take it away by eating one of the, the lesser society types of apples. It's, it's unchangeable. So in your freedom in Christ, you no longer need to waste your money on Honeycrisp apples. I mean, this is so, this feels so good. It feels so good to help people uh, in this way. I'm telling you. So, so, uh, so with that, we close up Noah's Rant. Noah's Rant, by the way, is is the official part of the show that is sponsored by Angry Brew. Uh, so so Angry Brew is an angry coffee. It's uh, it's twice the caffeine of normal coffee, and it it fuels it fuels Noah's Rant. Or does Noah's Rant fuel Angry Brew? That that really is the question. That really is the question. I I, I it it may be the other way around. It may be the other way around. So. Let me say this. Thank you so much for listening to The Flip Side. I do not take it lightly. I love you. Thank you for being on this journey with me in the way you are. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please do click subscribe. Tell a friend about your third favorite podcast, The Flip Side. 
Next episode, I'll be interviewing Todd Wilson on his new book on the Enneagram. Until then, I will see you on the flip side. The Flip Side with Noah Filipiak is a South Francis Press production. Copyright Noah Filipiak, www.noahfilipiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Use with permission. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Yow, yow, dripping in that gall that don't perish. People selling fake, see the green around their belly. Taking refuge in his hand, see his poems, my living quarters. Close them when I'm finished, it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory, cause you're in or you're out. When you see him in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Pulpit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard Then I hope you see him clearly. Raise him, raise him, raise him. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but sure it's with your daisy. Oh.